Genesis chapter 1, and if you found your place, if you would stand with me out of the respect of the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so. Genesis chapter number 1, and the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. The title of my message this morning is, Are You Lined Up in the Right Order? Are You Lined Up in the Right Order? Let's pray, and we'll get into the message. Lord, I love you. God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I, I know that people took time to honor you this morning. But Father, they need to hear from you, not from me. I pray that you'd empty me of myself. I pray that you'd forgive me of sin in my life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd use me. I pray that you'd speak to hearts. Touch people's hearts as you see fit. Lord, you know what every person needs. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I love the Bible, obviously. I think that's probably a good thing for a preacher, but I think it's a good thing for every Christian to love God's Word. Amen? From Genesis to Revelation, though, I do see clearly that God is a God of order. I mean, you cannot read the Scripture and not see it evidently that God is a God of order. From the beginning, which is where we started, God had a plan and He had a way He wanted things to be done. He created the earth in six literal days and on the seventh day He rested and the world still acknowledges a seven-day week whether they want to admit that God even exists. Uh, but it's funny how that all worked out, and I know it started later on, I understand that. And, but the truth is, uh, the, God has a plan. And we serve a God of order. The Bible talks about God making the sun and the moon. Imagine that, Genesis 1.16. It records that He made the stars also. That's all it says about that. He made the stars also. I mean, if, uh, a thousand years ago, scientists thought there were a few hundred stars in the sky. Because that's all that they could ever see. And then they moved from hundreds to thousands. And then they moved from thousands to millions. And then from millions to billions, alright? And that's true for stars. That's not true for years, by the way, alright? Although their number keeps growing on that as well. But you know what? Now, they say there could be as many as a septillion stars in the universe. They're just guessing. And you know what? My Bible says in Psalm 147, verse number 4, that God telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Amen. All of them. God, think about that. I mean, I have three kids, and sometimes I get their names confused. My mom had seven kids, all right? Six of them were unintelligent. One of them was intelligent. I will let you guess, all right? <laughs> But sometimes she would run down the list. She would say, Roger, James, Abby, Caleb, Katie, Timmy, Ben. Yeah, you. All right, come here, you know. But God knows how many stars are in the sky. And he not only knows them, he set them each in their place. And he knows them by name. What am I trying to say this morning? God is a God of order. God set a firmament in the heaven. He set a rainbow in the sky. He sets his children on a rock. And he set 
His love toward us. That's important because it's intentional. If I set this here, I placed it here. I intended it for it to be here. And God did the same thing with the universe. He did the same thing with the earth. He did the same thing with you. Everybody's intentional. Amen. A couple years ago, they started talking about people that were essential. That's kind of funny. All of a sudden, certain people were non-essential. And we wonder why our world struggles with suicide. And we, they tell them they came from a monkey and there's no really point of life. And then when you die, that's all that matters. So what's the point of life anyway? Unless you have a biblical worldview that believes there's a God in heaven who created you for a purpose. And then after that, according to how you live, you're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Hey, all of a sudden that makes sense. Amen. But people without that worldview are confused. We serve a God of order. From the tabernacle in Exodus to Solomon's temple in 1 Kings to the New Testament church. By the way, God has a specific way for how He wants things to be done. I think that's fair, right? I mean, He created us. I think it's fair that He orders us and He has a pattern for us. And I think it's fair that He expects us to follow it. Hey, at my house, there are certain rules. Everybody has house rules, right? You expect them to be followed. Why? It's your house. Now, you don't go over to someone else's house. And expect the rules to be followed. Because it's not your house. You follow their rules. You walk into a house. Some people, you walk into a house, you notice a pile of shoes by the front door. It's a good indication you should probably take your shoes off and not walk across their white carpet, alright? Why? They're probably be, they're, they're, that's a rule. You say, well, I don't have that rule at my house. But it's your house! Hey, this is God's house. This is God's earth. This is God's life. This is God's body. These are God's kids. And when we realize that nothing we have is ours, and everything we are, and everything we have, and the world that we live in is God's, then it makes sense for us to do things God's way. Isn't it frustrating when people don't do things in the right order? Maybe you felt this frustration recently. Have you ever been in one of those double drive-through lines? And that person, you pull up, you order, and you're going... And they pull up, order, I don't know what they're ordering, and then they zip right ahead of you, you know? That's a little frustrating, right? You're just like, can you not read? Do you not understand how this merger thing goes, you know? I, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, and they have, this, they have this thing that they built. And it's called a, it's, I think they call it a double diamond, but it's a crossover intersection where all the lights stop, and then the traffic kind of, we weave back and forth across the road because it somehow makes it more efficient, all right? I don't understand it, all right? And, uh... I don't think anybody does in Lexington if you drive there on Harrodsburg Road. It is, it is confusing. You might have driven through it the other day. But, I mean, it, but you know what? There's an order to it. But a lot of people don't understand that order. There's these big signs. Do not turn on red. All right? You know how many times I see somebody go up to a light? There's one down here, downtown in Jasper here right at Newton Street. You know how many times I see somebody pull up to that light, look up, and then turn when it says do not turn on red? Now there's a reason for that. By the way, there's a reason we have a traffic system. It's frustrating. When I lived in Lima, Ohio, there was about a stoplight every block, all right? And they never, never were green, all right? And it just seemed like that anyway. But there was an order. There was a reason. Somebody set that up. Real life can get very complicated too, can't it? But guess what? God has an order for your life, and your life doesn't have to be that complicated, all right? Honestly, truthfully, simply, we are supposed to follow what God says. I mean, that's, the, that's, the boil, that's where it all boils down to. 
But life is complicated oftentimes because we make it complicated. And you know what? A lot of times it's because we don't follow the orders. Amen. Have, you ever, uh, have you ever tried to put together box furniture without the instruction book? Amen. And then you ended up with a random piece of wood sticking out somewhere and you're like, I don't think that's supposed to be there, right? And then you go back and you look and you're like, oh, that makes sense. Now, sometimes you order those instruction books and they don't make any sense either. Right? I'm, like, I'm just wondering if the person who wrote the book also made the <coughs> furniture because they just don't match. But the truth is, it wouldn't be as complicated if you just follow the pattern. Hey, they don't, they don't assemble a car by just, saying, just handing everybody a different piece and saying, all right, let's stick them together and see how it works. No, there has to be an order. And you know what? If somebody messes up earlier on in the order, it's pretty evident by the time it gets to that person... And then all of a sudden it becomes, it becomes chaos and they have to restart. Don't they, Jasper Engines and Transmissions guy, right? You know, I mean, if somebody messes up earlier, it's evident later on. Hey, you know what? If you'll just follow God's pattern for your life, there is an expected end. Jeremiah 29, 11, God told Jeremiah, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I believe this with all my heart. God has an expected end for your life. By the way, He has an expected route to get there as well. How many of you would like to know the day that you're going to die? Nobody. None of, I'm glad God knows that. I'm glad I don't know that. It kind of get depressing starting to think about it. But you know what? I do know this. God, who put the stars in the sky and hung them there and calls them by name, also has a plan for my life and He has a purpose for my life and He has an end for my life. But sadly, I meet a lot of people that get out of order. Have you ever seen a, a, a little boy try to button a shirt and they start on the wrong button and then they end up with one tail of their shirt being this long and one tail being this long and... They've got one button up here and they've got half their collar up here and half their collar down here. And you're like, what's wrong? They started on the wrong button. Now, if you don't start on the right button, none of the rest of them are going to make sense, are they? They're always going to be off. And so we're going to run with that analogy this morning in, in talking about a God of order. And I'm going to give you four buttons that a lot of people put in the wrong spot in their life. And you know what? The good thing is, you say, preacher, if you realize you're on the wrong button today, the good news is we got a God who can make it right. Amen? Amen. All right. He says, come over here. All right. Let's unbutton these. Let's start them off on the right foundation. And you know what? It's amazing when you start on the right one. They all work out after that. Number one, the button of acknowledgement. The button of acknowledgement. This is the button of sin. Romans 3.23 says, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. James chapter 2, verse number 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. Now, as I see it today, I look at a room full of good people. All right, I have no doubt in my mind about that. Actually, to the world's standard, most people, if you ask most people, are most people good? Most people would say yes. I mean, come on, they write country music songs about it. I believe most people are good. That don't make it true, by the way. All right? Just because a country music singer wrote about it definitely doesn't make it true, all right? The other day, somebody rewound a country music song, and the guy got his truck back, he got his dog back, he got his wife back. But anyway, <laughs> you'll get that in a few minutes. 
But you know what the truth is? The truth is, our world assumes that most people are good and that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. I'm a vile wretch, alright? There's a reason they're changing Christian songs out because you start singing up about here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. People don't like that kind of stuff. People don't like to have a... People don't like to be talking about their sin. Start preaching on sin in church sometime, all right? It gets, it gets kind of quiet sometimes. Why? Because usually I'm like, I'm preaching to me, all right? This is bad, all right? Uh, it's true. We're all sinners. And the Bible says that, but you know what? There's a lot of people who won't admit that. I remember I, 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 I remember meeting kids and teenagers sometimes, and I'll, and I'll say, hey, if you, you know, are you a sinner? Oh, no, I'm not a sinner. Have you ever lied? Oh, no, I've never lied. They just told their first lie, right? You know, <laughs> nobody, nobody passes the test. My grandma's a sweet old lady. I think she's eighty-seven. She has forty-four grandkids. Julia, when she was born, I think was her seventy-ninth great-grandchild. Now that number has grown. I think at my grandpa's funeral six years ago, there was 114 of the 116 living descendants that were there. The only two that couldn't make it lived in London, England. She, she raised her family in church. She raised, she's been in the, lived in the same house for over 60 years now. Been going to the same church since it started. And guess what? She's been working on a bus route picking up children. She still does. Goes out and picks up kids and tells them about the Lord. But you know what? She's a sinner. And if she's guilty of one point, she deserves to go to hell. You say, preacher, that's your grandma. I know. Everyone's a sinner. Amen. And you can think of the nicest old grandma you can think of, and they are a sinner who deserves to go to hell. Just as much as the, as the blasphemer and the drunk and the reviler. You know, we, we live in a world where people don't want to acknowledge that they are a sinner. By the way, why do you need saved if you've never been lost? We talk about salvation. We talk about being born again. And those things are important. But what do you need to be saved from if you're so good? If you're so perfect, if you're so holy, if you're so righteous, why do you need Jesus? There's a lot of people that don't realize that in our world. Don't believe me. Start going out and knocking on doors. Asking people, are you for sure if you die to go to heaven? Oh, well, you know, when someday I'm going to stand before God and I'll just kind of let him sort it out. No, he already sorted it out. You're a sinner. And he said, if you're guilty of one point, you're guilty of everything. Amen. That's, there's a reason we started with that as the first button. By the way, Revelation chapter 20 says, and I saw the great white throne. And it talks about standing before God and talks about the sea giving up their dead and the graves giving up their dead. And every man shall stand before God. And Revelation 20.15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It doesn't say if you're a Baptist, you go to heaven. It doesn't say if you're a Catholic, you go to heaven. It doesn't say if you're a good person, you go to heaven. The only people going to heaven are the people whose names are in the book of life. But you're never getting there until you realize you're lost. All right? You can't be found until you realize that you're lost. That's button number one. Button number two. The button of acceptance. The button of acceptance. That's salvation. John 3.16 For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love that verse. Probably most of you can quote it with me. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, one, another one that I love. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Take your Bibles with me and go to Romans chapter 3. We talked about that first verse, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we didn't, I, 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 there's something that needs to be continued. Romans 3.23. In case you're wondering how I flipped all these passages so fast, I mark them with tracks before the service, all right? So I can just, how to be saved, right? Anyway, that's a good one. Been handing that one out a lot. That gets people's attention right there. They see this. But anyway, Romans 3.23. <clears throat> For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look at verse number 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. There's three words there in that passage that I want us to run over this morning and be reminded of. One of them's freely. Freely. What does freely mean? Free. Without any cost. If it costs you something, it's not free. You ever had, have you ever signed up for something for free? And then you got an email in the mail the next day in your inbox and it says your subscription uh, and you will be billed $157.99 starting next week for something that was supposed to be free. So you know what you do? You cancel it, right? Because it's not free anymore. Hey, folks, listen, we were justified freely by His grace. I've heard it said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace has given you something that you didn't deserve, and even though you got it, it wasn't because of anything you could have done in the first place. That's what grace is. There's a $3 word in there, propitiation. All right? Everybody say it with me. Propitiation. If we were in Kentucky, we'd find a way to make that word into one syllable. You better believe it, all right? Yeah, I don't know how they do it, but every, there's, 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 only, there's no three-syllable words in Kentucky, all right? But anyway, I'm from there. I can joke about us Kentucky people. Are, how many of you, you're, you're originally from Kentucky? Your grandma's from Kentucky? Ah, man, that's surprising. This is southern Indiana, all right? I thought everybody was from Kentucky and southern Indiana, but anyway. All right. You trace your heritage back, I guarantee you you'll end up near Somerset, Kentucky. But anyway, all right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Watch. Yeah, go do an Ancestry.com search after this, all right? But you know what? The propitiation, it means the act of appeasing the wrath of God, rendering Him propitious to sinners. Now, if you're like me, when I read that definition, I said, it's been a long time since I've been to English class, and I don't remember what the word propitious means, all right? So I looked it up, that up in the dictionary. It means disposed to be gracious or merciful, ready to forgive Sins. Ready to forgive sins. Jesus Christ became the propitiation for me. 
And because he was willing to do that, because he was willing to go to the earth and to live a sinless life and to die on the cross, he made a way for me to be saved. And now that made God propitious, which means it made God ready to forgive my sins when I asked him. That's pretty exciting. That, that, that's, that, that motivates me. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hey, it's simple. It's simple. It's the acceptance of Jesus for the remission of your sins, plus nothing, minus nothing. Don't insult God by thinking you can earn what He gave you through His Son. But there's a lot of people that do. Amen. Unintentionally. They say, well, 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 well I'm going to try to earn heaven, preacher. I ask people every week, if you die today, you're 100% for sure you'd go to heaven. Well, I'm working on it. Working on what? Well, I've got to clean my life up a little bit. Well, you just don't understand. There's a few things I need to get in order. Before what? Before what? That's like trying to build a house without a foundation. It's not going to last very long. That's like trying to build your house on the sand. I, I, I saw the house the other day uh, on a home search we were looking at, and it was really cheap. And I was like, why is this house really cheap? And it was like $100,000 below any other house in the neighborhood. So I clicked on it. And in big letters it said, this home has serious foundation issues. And I went, nope. <laughs> That's why it's so cheap. Hey folks, listen. If you build, you know, there's a lot of people that have built, a, built up a life of religion. But they're not saved. And they will die and they will go to hell. Sit in a church every week. And die and go to hell because they're counting on them earning what God already gave freely. Amen. Hey, you know what? God's ready to forgive your sins, but he, he's, he's, he's not ready if you're trying to earn it. Have you ever tried to give somebody a gift and they want to pay you for it? Doesn't that get frustrating when you're trying to give it to them for free? I mean, have you ever tried to give somebody something and they're like, no, I want to pay you. No, really, I want to be a blessing to you. No, I want to pay you. No, I really want to. Just stop and put your money away and let me give you a gift. If any of you have ever met somebody like that, maybe you're like that. It's not a bad way to be. But truthfully, it gets a little frustrating when you're trying to be a blessing to somebody and they think you want something from them. And truthfully, I think a lot of people, they irritate God because here he is, propitious, ready to forgive your sins, and you're trying to earn what he already gave to you. Number one, the button of acknowledgement, sin. Number two, the button of acceptance, salvation. Number three, hope you got your top button button. You might want to loosen it, all right? This is what gets a lot of people. Number three, the button of admission. It's the button of baptism. I meet a lot of people. I ask them, if you die today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? Oh, yeah, preacher, I've been baptized. What does that do for you? What is baptism according to the Bible? Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He said in Romans 5, 5, and hope maketh not ashamed. He said in Romans 9, 33, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I think if we want to know what the Bible thinks about baptism, it'd be a good idea to look in the Bible. Do you not think that? Actually, let's go to Acts chapter 8. Sorry you have to use your Bible so much in church, amen? Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 35. 
Philip is preaching a great revival in Samaria and God pulls him out of that and God sticks him in the desert and there's an Ethiopian man who's just finished worshiping in Jerusalem and he's in the desert and he walks up and he's reading the book of Isaiah and Philip goes, you understand what you're reading? All right, that's not the King James Version there, all right? That's my paraphrasing, all right? You can, you can fill in the rest up to verse 35. But he goes, how can I know unless someone show me the way? Hey, that's like saying sick him to a dog, all right? If you tell the preacher, I don't understand the Bible, can you please help me, all right? I love that. Those don't happen very often. But look what Philip does in verse 35. The Bible says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him works, baptism, church attendance, preached unto him Jesus And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What What just happened there? A man got saved. And then he made a public profession of what he just did. By the way, the Bible says they both went down into the water. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen... Uh, if, you, if I took a cup of water here and I poured it on his head in church this morning. All right, yeah. This is my song, all right? I'm not going to do this then. No. But did we both go into the water if I did that to him? No. Baptism was always done by immersion in your Bible. Amen. By the way, no, they didn't even start doing other forms of baptism until hundreds of years after Christ. All denominations used to baptize by immersion. All of them, including Catholic. You can look it up. It's, it's, it's a historical fact. Folks, what I'm trying to say is, Philip, the eunuch, comes to water. And Philip's been preaching Jesus to him. And he sees water and he says, What do I have to do to get baptized? And he said... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he was able to get baptized. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I meet a lot of people who have this button before they have this button. I meet a lot of people who will dunk themselves in a water. And you know what? It's probably not their fault. Shame on the preacher that teaches them. If I put you in the water, you're going to heaven. I said, you say, you you ought not say bad things about other preachers. I didn't call anybody's name, all right? But that's not true. Hey, I could stick I could stick people in the water all day long. I could go down to the creek. I could go down to the Potoka River right now. It's pretty high. I can just grab a bunch of people and start dunking them. All right, you're going to heaven. You're going to heaven. You're going to... That's not how it works. Baptism is a picture of salvation after I have asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. But you know what? By the way, I think you ought to get baptized. Amen. If you're in here and you've been saved and never been baptized, I think you ought to get baptized. You say, preacher, I, I'm not physically able to get baptized. I've told her story before. Let me tell you a story about Stacy. Stacy had some mental issues. She lived in uh, a town up near Lima, Ohio, where I was the assistant pastor in 2018, 2019. And Stacy got saved. And she kept asking my pastor, can I be baptized? Well, we, 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 we were in an old church building, all right? This person, whoever built this church, clearly had no intention of baptizing people very often, all right? Here's how you got to the baptistry. You had to go downstairs. There was a bathroom on this end of the church. There was a hundred foot hallway. Okay. And there was another staircase. And then you had to walk up about 30 stairs 
to get back into the auditorium to get into the baptistry. That makes sense, right? You know, but anyway, it's just crazy. I don't know who designed that, but she could not walk up all those stairs, but she wanted to get baptized. Why? Because she had gotten saved and she wanted to show everybody she had gotten saved. And so she kept asking my pastor and she kept bugging him. And she's like, I need to get baptized. I want to get baptized. And we had another man who just couldn't make the stairs either. And uh, he was, a, he was just, a, just a rather large man. I'm not trying to make fun of him. It was just, just, just the truth. And so my pastor told me, he said, I want you to go to the YMCA. I want you to rent a swimming pool. And we're going to have a special service at the YMCA. And we're going to baptize these two people. And then he looked at me and said, and because I'm older and not able to do it, you're going to baptize both of them. And I was like, yes, sir. All right. So we rented this. We, we rented the YMCA swimming pool for an hour. Had a handicap lift in it. We, we took the church after Sunday morning service. We all got in our cars, drove over there, got out. Gathered around the swimming pool in our church clothes. You should have seen the look on the lifeguard's face that was standing there. I mean, this guy was just like, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> First man came down, stepped into the shallow end of the water, and I baptized him. Then I went over to, they were, we had two deacons helping Stacy into the wheelchair lift. And then she lay, lowered her down into the water. And you know what we found out later on that day? She had been in the hospital for two days. She had had a stroke and, and was struggling to walk and had somebody drive her to be baptized. She got released on Saturday morning. Drove to the baptism on Sunday afternoon. They wheeled her into the place, lowered her down in a wheelchair thing. Middle-aged lady, probably about 40 years old. And I picked her up in the water and I carried her out to the middle of the pool. And I baptized Stacy. Talk about, talk about wanting to yell. I won't do it in here, all right? I do sometimes anyway. I'm not very loud, am I? But anyway. But you talk about exciting. And you know what? Listen, since that day, I have not found a good excuse for somebody not to get baptized other than pride. There's a lot of people that will get saved that will never be baptized. Hey, listen, my Bible says if I I trust Jesus, I ought not be ashamed. I, I often describe it as a wedding ring. You know, this is a symbol of a commitment I made on June 11th. I think I got the date right. My wife's not here. So anyway. June 11, 2016, to Samantha, Sue, Todd, who became Samantha Young on that day. But if I take that off and set it right there, I'm, I'm still married to her. But I put this on because it's a symbol of the commitment that I made. Amen. Hey, folks, listen. If you're in here and you've never been baptized, why not just decide that you're going to follow the Lord and trust Him? By the way, if you're not saved, get, him in the right, get the buttons in the right order. Realize you're a sinner. Trust Christ as your Savior. He'll save you and then make it public. Number four and we'll be done. The button of action. All right, we saw the button of acknowledgement. That's sin. We saw the button of acceptance. That's salvation. We saw the button of admission. That's baptism. Number four, the button of action. And that's growing. That's growing. Hey, God has a plan for your life. Remember, we started in Jeremiah 29, 11, that God had an expected end for your life. What did they do in the Bible after they got saved and after they got baptized? Flip back a couple pages to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verse 41. 
Acts 2.41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and good, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That was the original church membership requirement. Church of Jerusalem was the first, was the first Christian church in, in the Bible. You know what they did? They got saved, they got baptized, and they joined a local church. You can preach, you preacher, you're pressuring. No, I, I don't pressure anybody to join a church. Because everybody comes from a different background. You know what? I'm glad, though. I believe in it with all my heart. I believe God wants every Christian to be a part of a local New Testament church. Amen. Now, I'm for, I'm, for other, I'm for other places. I'm for, I'm, I'm for evangelists. I'm for parachurch organizations. They have a purpose. But I believe God's power in the New Testament age, if you study the book of Acts, you study your Bible, God's power, God's plan, the main way God wants to accomplish His purpose is through local, independent, Bible-believing churches that are faithful to preach God's Word and to go out into the world and reach souls and to save men and to pray sinners in and to pray sinners down the altar and to see them saved and then to see them baptized and to see them grow and then to teach them and then to send them out. And that has always been God's plan and that will always be God's plan the church is not a social club the church is not a place we come to fellowship the church is not a place we come to play cornhole and have chili cook-offs the church is a place we come as saved baptized believers to worship God and then to learn from the preaching of God's word and to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and if the church isn't doing that it ought to shut its doors or change its name Because if that's not what you're here to do, then folks, I don't know what you're here to do. A church is here to further the gospel in their community. To be a light to a lost and dying world. Now, I like cornhole and I like fried chicken. I'm a Baptist. I have to like fried chicken, right? It's one of our distinctives. I told you my jokes aren't funny, all right? But anyway. But the truth is the church. The church is the place we grow. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to 2 Peter and we'll be done. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. You say, preacher, why is that important? Why is that important? Well, I'll show you. Because some people, they get so far off that all their buttons come undone. They don't lose their salvation. But they definitely get very confused. And I didn't put a track in this one. Alright, there we go. Second Peter chapter 1. The Bible says, Simon Peter, verse number 1. A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God, and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, 
through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given to unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Well, isn't faith the important thing? Yes, it is important. Faith saves you. You're, you're saved by grace through faith. But the Bible tells us to add to our faith. Virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, temperance. To temperance, patience. To patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Hey folks, listen. If you don't grow, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to forget. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says you can get to the point where you forget that you were purged from your old sins. That doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you've forgotten. Hey, I meet people like that almost every week. I'll knock on their door. I'll, I'll, the conversation will go something like this. Hello, my name is James Young. I'm the pastor of Living Hope Baptist Church here in Jasper. I'm out inviting folks to church. Oh, where's that out? It's right across from the highway garage on 162 in between Jasper and Ferdinand. I'm amazed at how many people don't know where 162 is. But anyway, that's a different story. I'm like, you live here, people. But anyway... But I say, invite them to church. And then they'll say, well, I go to such and such church. And I'm like, listen, folks, my goal, my purpose, my plan is not to take anybody from their church necessarily. And that's not my, that's not my end goal. Because truthfully, it's not. Because truthfully, I can't build a church. God builds a church. Amen? Amen? But you know what? I say, you know what? One of the things I always like to ask people is, when you die, are you going to go to heaven? Oh, yeah, I hope so. I think so. I might. I could. I, I want to. I, you know? And then I'll say something like this. In a classic answer, people will say, well, I want to, but nobody can know that for sure. And so I'll say, well, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? They'll say, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Most people do in our country. And I'll take them to 1 John 5, 13. That says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That's me and you, right? Yes. That you may know that you have eternal life. Now, God said, if you believe on the name of the Son of God, you can know. He didn't say you, he didn't say he didn't say you, you kind of could know or maybe sort he said you could know. He also said in Titus 1:2 in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And I always ask people, if God promised eternal life before the world began, what kind of a God would he be if he didn't make a way for you to get it? And most people go, "Well, that's true." But you know what, folks, listen. And then I'll say, "Can I show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're going to heaven?" Oh yeah, preacher, you can do that. I start going through it. I get done and they say, you know what? When I was eight years old, I went to a VBS at a church in this town and I asked Jesus Christ to save me. I remember doing that. Now what was their problem? The problem was they hadn't grown. There's a lot of people out there that are saved that don't go to church anywhere. And I hear a lot of, a lot of nice excuses and I'm very kind. And I don't beat them over the head. I, I have a lot of guys tell me, well, I can worship God just as freely in a deer stand as I can in church. Amen. 
Well, I don't find that in the Bible, all right. I find Hebrews 10, 25, it says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together unless we're all going to meet at your deer stand, all right. We probably ought to be in church. And I know probably the non-deer hunters in here aren't getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and spraying themselves down with urine so they can go sit out in the woods and look for a gray or brown or white animal, you know. Now, that's a cool thing to do if you like to do that. But, folks, that's not church. And you know what? I, I bet I meet a lot of people. I, I met hundreds of them in Kentucky. Oh, yeah, I got saved 20 years ago at a revival meeting. And you know what? I just plumb forgot. Why'd you plumb forget? Am I right? That's some good, that's some good English right there. Right? Look up that when you get home. Plum, why, why did they plumb forget? Because they got saved and then they never went to church and they never got in their Bible and they never grew and they became what Hebrews or what 2 Peter chapter 1 says in verse number 9. They forgot that they were ever purged of their sins in the first place. Hey folks, listen. By the way, that could be you. Could be me. If we stop growing, I guarantee you, you move away. Because Lord willing, if you're here and I'm here, we're all going to be at church. You move to a different state 20 years from now, you stop going to church. I meet people like that all the time. I knock on their door. They're like, well, I just moved to town and we haven't found a church we like. And I'm just like, oh yeah, how long have you been here? Oh, three years, you know. <laughs> you know what? That's a good indication that you're not looking for a church in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. My favorite is when I ask a guy where he goes to church and he goes, honey, where do we go to church? <laughs> I, I had a guy two weeks ago in this area. I knocked on his door and I said, I said, where do you go to church? He goes, I don't know. You'll have to ask my wife, and she's not here. He was just honest. All right? He didn't lie to me like a lot of people do. But anyway, folks, what I'm trying to say is there's four. those are just four buttons. There's more. The button of acknowledgement. Hey, if you're in here and you've never realized you're a sinner, you are. Amen. And God wants to save you. That's button number two, the button of acceptance, the button of salvation. I'm thankful that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Then there's that button of admission. Hey, if you're in here and you've been saved and you know it, but you've never been baptized, let me encourage you. Get that on the schedule. Make that something you take care of in 2023. Number four, if you're a Christian, I believe every Christian ought to belong to a Bible-believing church. I believe every Christian ought to grow. Because you know what? I don't want to meet you 20 years down the road and have to witness to you again to convince you that you're saved. I do it with too many people already. What am I saying? I'm saying, hey, let's figure out where our buttons are. Let's get them lined up.